the 114th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Almost 24 hours after Carolina takes down St. Peter's 69-49 to in the East Regional Final to advance to their 21st Final Four, which is the most in the history of the NCAA Tournament. It also gave Carolina their 130th win in the event, which is the most of any team in college basketball. And with the Final Four appearance, it now makes nine consecutive decades that Carolina has competed in at least one Final Four, which, of course, is the longest active streak in college basketball. No no other program, by the way, has competed in a... Final Four in nine decades overall. Yeah, Carolina's done it nine straight. Um, so meanless, need, need, you know, needless to say, yesterday was a milestone day for a program that's got a lot of milestones to their resume. But Carolina's run through the East bracket is complete. They have punched their ticket to the Final Four. They'll take on Duke Saturday night in the second national semifinal, which. We will talk about throughout throughout the week and, and as this week moves along. And um, it wasn't pretty, but it didn't have to be. We knew St. Peter's was going to make the game ugly, and, and Carolina. I'm not going to say they played into the style that St. Peter's wanted to play, but you got to give the Peacocks credit. They did muck the game up to a certain degree to make the game slower. It was not played in the open court like Carolina wanted the game to be played. But it was another example of all of those moments we talked about during the season. When you were winning those games ugly, they, they they have value and they usually translate in the NCAA tournament. And Carolina won the game yesterday with their defense more with, more than their offense. Well, the other thing that I, I think you got to look at here is they got, I mean, you race out to a 9-0 lead. You have another 9-0 run in the first half. And, I mean, at one point you got up by 20 in the first half. So, in all honesty... Why did you need to exert that much energy to run the pace that you needed to? You you yeah. had a comfortable enough lead, so that may have been part of the mindset is, hey, we don't have to play fast. We don't have to put 80 or 90 on this team to win the game. The way we're playing defensively right now, we can get out of here, not exert a, a ton of energy on the offensive end, and, and we're going to be okay. So that could have been part of the strategy as well. 
when they realized that, hey, we're, we're in control. This St. Peter's team, that, that was the thing. Tremendous run by them. Shaheen Holloway is a heck of a coach. He's going to be a great coach at his alma mater, Seton Hall. I think he's a great fit there. That was a team that looked like a Cinderella that had run out of juice. And Carolina looked like from the minute that they took the floor, they were in control of that game. So I th- I don't think they – I think they knew they didn't need to overexert themselves. Yeah, no, and, you know, as you, I look at what you said about St. Peter's. They looked like a team that was finally tired. And you say, what are they tired of? Because the, the national spotlight's been on them since they upset Kentucky the week before. Then you take down Murray State. Now you're in the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. Then you take down Purdue the first time now a 15 seed is in the Elite Eight. Um, and look, there was a lot of, I'm not going to say St. Peter's fans in the building yesterday, but that was a 50-50 crowd. You had the Tar Heel contingent in Philadelphia, and then the people that were there to get behind a 15 seed to potentially make the Final Four. But Carolina's talent was evident early, and their size was evident early. And they did to St. Peter's what everyone thought Kentucky should have done and what Purdue should have done, which was they wore them down on on the interior. And, and Armando Baycott turned in a performance for the ages, a 20-20 game on to send Carolina to the Final Four. He was out. He was later named the regional most outstanding player um, as, as he continues his spectacular season for, for Carolina individually. And we'll take a look at the box score here. And it, not the prettiest box score ever in a win, but as we just talked about, it didn't have to be. And this time of year, it's not about how it looks. It's just about winning. And that's what Carolina's doing right now. They shot just 41% from the field, 25 of 61. Uh, but they held St. Peter's to 30%, 18 of 60 shooting from the field. At one point, they were 7 of 37 from the field. So Carolina was locked in defensively. Um, Carolina won despite just making 6 of 22 three-point uh, attempts. That was 27%. Well, that was had to do with St. Peter's. Though. They were a team that allowed teams to shoot 29% from behind the three-point line, 14th best in the country. So it was going to be hard for three-point shots to come by. But Carolina also defended the three-point line really well. Uh, the Peacocks were just 4 of 16 for 25%. One boo-boo for Carolina, um, just 13 of 21 from the foul line. Um, if this game would have been closer, that would have been something that we would have been talking about a little bit more had the outcome went a little bit differently. St. Peter's was 9 of 10 from the, the foul line. Um, Carolina just eight turnovers. St. Peter's just seven turnovers. Both teams did a really good job valuing the basketball. Rebounding, this was where Carolina controlled the game. Behind Armando Baycott, they out-rebounded St. Peter's 49-33, the largest margin of of rebounding um, in the NCAA tournament and the largest margin uh, since their win at home against NC State um, back in February. Second chance points, Carolina had 14 of those compared to just seven for St. Peter's. Um, their bench, though, did outscore Carolina's bench 21-2. to That was expected. Um, they played 10-11 guys. Carolina played roughly r- really just six guys up until the, the final minutes of the game. Um, ben, uh, po- points in the paint favor Carolina 34-26. to St. Peter's did outscore Carolina in the fast break 9-5. to Did outblock Carolina 7-5. to uh, but Carolina's six steals compared to just four for St. Peter's. The Tar Heels had 15 assists on 25 made baskets, a better ratio than it was on Friday night against UCLA. St. Peter's 11 assists on their 18 made baskets. The game was tied for just 18 seconds. 
Um, and that was in the opening minutes or the opening seconds of the game as Carolina led for 39 minutes and their largest lead of the game was 27 um, in a game that, that Carolina controlled from really just about the onset, from, from, the, from the opening tip all the way to the final horn. Let's move on now to our quote of the game. And as we've done throughout most of the NCAA tournament, we go to Hubert Davis and what he said to the sideline reporter shortly after the game went final. And here's what he said to Jamie Erdahl about his team making the Final Four. And do something that the team had never done in program history. But for North Carolina, it's another step and another Final Four. Over to Jamie. Coach. so happy for them. I really wanted this for them. I just I just desperately wanted this for them. And I love these guys so much. They trusted me in my first year. They allowed me to coach them and allowed me to be in their life. And I'm here because of them. It has nothing to do about coaching. It's all them. And I'm just, it's tears of joy being able to be in their lives. It's just awesome. I gotta tell you, um, as a guy that that loves loves this program and gets a lot of my life values from the life values that Dean Smith taught us and, and Roy Williams taught us and now Hubert Davis taught us, that's as raw a coach I've ever seen after a game went final. And I, I put this out on my Twitter. If you don't follow me, you can follow me at, at @htbjosh. That was real emotion. That wasn't. That wasn't that wasn't an acting job from Hubert Davis. That wasn't him trying to sell himself or, or sell sell his team. That was real, and it was evident by the way the team just mobbed him while he was talking about them getting him to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 in that tweet I put out, that's what Carolina basketball is. It's it's not about one player or one coach or or one championship. It's a culmination of the last 60 years of pure excellence on the basketball court and dominance of, of on the basketball court. And to see him be that raw, knowing that Roy Williams was in the stands watching over him and, and Dean Smith was looking down, watching over him, the smile that crept over my face was the biggest smile that's come out during this season because he continues to validate the reason why he was handpicked as a successor to Roy Williams' retirement, and it just continues to prove why I, not necessarily you, but many Tar Heel fans were wrong about him back in mid-February, and just pure elation for him because it's been it, it was a hard year for this team and a hard year for him as a coach dealing with the hard issues this team had put them through. Through all of that, this team is in the Final Four and they're two wins away from cutting down the nets and hanging another banner in the Smith Center. Yeah, and it's 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 honestly just unprecedented at this point how they've gotten to this point um, this season. Because yeah, there was a lot of times where you looked at this team and you said, "There's no way this team is lucky if they make it to the NCAA tournament." And now here we are. Um, and yeah, that was one of my favorite moments in recent memory from a Toriel basketball head coach. And Roy Williams had many of them. But that was, you know, that was something we knew with with Hubert Davis. Nobody should have ever questioned how much Hubert Davis cared about this program or wanted to win with this program because we saw that back in 2016 when he was an assistant coach 
We saw it back in 2017 after they completed the redemption tour. So it, it, it that shouldn't have shocked anybody to see that raw emotion. And it, it's it's it shows why the guys have been able to so easily rally around him as a head coach because mm-hmm. he's so relatable. He wants to win as much as anybody. And I think, again, what we saw early, middle part of the season was a coach that was in his first year, that was going through having to earn the trust as a head coach of some of these guys on the roster. And, I mean, look, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't respect him, but, yeah, you go from a guy in Roy Williams that's a Hall of Famer, arguably one of the three to five best coaches to ever coach the game of college basketball to a guy that has never coached outside of the JV team. So, yeah, it was a huge step up. A lot of these guys knew Hubert, but I don't I, I don't think that they were – I'm not going to say that they weren't ready for him to take over, but I think it was it – was, a bigger transition than people probably realized. Yeah, and, I, and once, not to cut you, but once, once they realized probably how much that game against Duke meant to him. I think that was the turning point in the season. I know some people, and I saw a tweet earlier today that pointed back to the Caleb Love shot against Syracuse, which was the turning point. Which I think you can make the argument. For that, because if Carolina would have lost, if he wouldn't have made that shot, that's that's probably the season. But I really think that Duke game was where this team really started to believe in their head coach and say, if we listen to what he's telling us and we rally around him, we we can do something special because the talent's here. I I also think during this tournament run, what 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 all did we hear about Hubert Davis when he got hired? The nicest guy you'll ever meet, but the fiercest competitor once you walk in the line of competition. The first three months, did we see his competitive fire on the on the sideline as 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 the head coach? We saw it in the home game against NC State when they were honoring the '82 team and Roy Williams. That was the game we saw it the most. Outside of that, and, and I think the first game against Duke, and I may have questioned. Him, I, I I question the energy of the team, and I may have questioned his energy on the bench. I don't think I did. I think that was I, a nervous moment. Honestly, I I really think that being in that environment, his first game, I think I think there was pressure. He put pressure on himself, mm-hmm. and I think it got to him. Where the second time around, there was no pressure on him. Nobody thought, hey, little old Hubert Davis, who lost who, who lost his first game by 20 to Coach K, is going to waltz in here and beat Coach K on his day. We've hyped this up for a whole week. There's no way he's walking in here and doing it. And he said, all right, that's fine. All the pressure's off of me. I'm just going to coach. Well, you know, and, and so I go back to that. When they, when they beat Syracuse in overtime, and you come down off of – look, at the time, Carolina was still playing for their life, but we all knew what lied ahead was Saturday at Duke. And 
but everyone knew that what was what was being planned, and he told his team, we're not going over there to be a part of some retirement party. We're going there to compete. From that game on, and then you go through this NCAA tournament run, we've seen that competitive fire. Mm-hmm. I thought the, the, the way he talked about his team after the win over Baylor, I thought you, you could tell about, and, and after Marquette, you, you want to fight? We're going to fight back. You want to push? We're going to push back. You want to elbow? We're going to elbow back. Well, I love the quote, there are three different types of people. Yeah. There are people that are looking to avoid a fight. There are people that are looking for a fight, and there's people that are looking to bring the fight. And this team's looking to bring the fight. And when he's when he's telling them that, if that doesn't make you want to run through a brick wall and and lay your life on the line for 40 minutes, then then you don't need to compete. I mean, and, and this, that's this what is, this team has found. They yeah. have found a competitive character about themselves. That moment made me remember the preseason speech that Roy gave before the 2017 season that made you want to run through a brick wall, build a new brick wall, and run through the net, through the new one you just built. I mean, yeah, that that's a guy because especially with him. And and look, I know that you you believed in the the, the other guys for different reasons, but Roy and Dean were not the players that Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis was an NBA player and a damn good one at that. He's been between those lines. He's played those games. He's been on these types of runs before. So I think that these guys started to realize we can relate to this guy. He knows what we've been through. And I think there were probably times he told them, look, believe in me because I've been where you are. And it took these guys a while, but I think now they're they're realizing that, yeah, he's been in these situations. So when he gives those types of speeches, yeah, he's been a guy that you, you don't have to tell him, well, coach, if you think it's so easy, go execute it. He will. Yeah. He'll go out there and show you. So I, I, I really thought that was that was some great emotion from him and um every Tar Heel should be proud that, that Huber Davis is is our head coach. Um, today, tomorrow, and hopefully for the next 15 to 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 years. It's not going to be that long, but I mean, I can Great just, job counting by fives I, there. Good I job. Can, I can just keep going. Um, let's move on quickly to the stat of the game. I went with rebounding. Carolina out-rebounded St. Peter's 49-33. to 33. Largest margin of, of rebounding so far in the tournament. Largest margin going back to the regular season win over NC State. On the road, you said at home, by the way. It was it was the February matchup. It wasn't the first one. That would be impressive. But. Um, and, and that was Armando Baycott, 22 individual rebounds. St. Peter's as a team, 33. Had, he had 15 at halftime. St. Peter's had 19 as a team at halftime. I yeah. mean, just, just dominant. And I said this during the game in a tweet. The... the the level to which he stepped up this year. We we asked him before the season. We said, look, Armando, as small podcast host, we need you to step it up to another level and be a monster on the glass because we don't have Dayron. We don't have Garrison Brooks. We don't have that dude that plays for Auburn. We don't have those guys. We need you to take your game to another level. I don't think anybody saw this coming I mean seriously this guy and and at this point 
mean, he's still playing. Oscar Shibway got knocked out in the first round of the tournament. He might be the most dominant big man in the country right now. I mean, he is just, it is unbelievable how when this guy is needed to turn it on. We've seen it at times during the tournament run, too. Even if he's not having a monster game like this, when he needs to turn it on and get clutch rebounds, to cre- either to create second-chance opportunities or on the defensive end to erase second-chance opportunities, he's been money. Yeah, he has. And, and, and Carolina's needed him to be money, but that ability to step up and make big-time players make big-time plays in big-time moments, he's done that countless times again for Carolina so far. And hopefully he's got two more games of them left to come as Carolina will take on Duke in the Final Four on Saturday. We are going to take a quick break, get you this week's ad from DraftKings, then when we come back, more thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's 69-49 whenever St. Peter's that punched their ticket to the Final Four in New Orleans. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your favorite team's victory into your own big win, and we mean the Tar Heels. Bet on the heels to get it done, guys. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win, the Tar Heels, and get $200 in free bets if they do so. It's that simple. If they win... You win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Over there, check out all that coverage that we'll have for you on the website. We'll, of course, preview the Duke game. Josh will have that. He'll also have the recap for you. And then whoever Carolina hopefully is playing in the national championship game, if that happens, he'll have the preview and recap of that as well. Football side of things, Pro Day recap on the website. You guys can check that out. That'll be up sometime uh, here in the near future. We will also have coverage of the Tar Heel Spring Game. That'll be on April 9th, a week after the Final Four. Make sure you check it out. HeelToughBlog.com Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corner side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog podcast side of things. And um, the first takeaway I have from Carolina's win was that they dominated the paint. And, you know, you you look at the numbers, it was only 34 to 26 points in the paint. But Carolina did to St. Peter's what Kentucky should have done and what Purdue should have done. You've got a height advantage, size advantage. You're, you're, you're bigger, faster, stronger. Put the ball inside and wear down a, a smaller opponent. And, and Carolina did that. Now, look. The reason why Kentucky and Purdue couldn't get the ball inside was because of the way that St. Peter's defended the perimeter. And St. Peter's did a lot of different things defensively 
um, that I really like with the with the with their their traps, their matchup zones, back into a man to man defense. So it, it was it's confusing, and it was really hard to game plan for. So you got to give Carolina's guards a lot of credit too for being strong with the ball. But I thought from the moment the game started, the ball went right inside and. And when the ball went inside, more often than not, Carolina got the desired results they won, whether a bucket, an offensive rebound, and a kickout, or an offensive rebound and a putback. I just thought that was the biggest thing, was that they came out and established inside dominance early. Well, that was the key, is even though the margin may not have been as big as you would have thought at the end of the game, Carolina early on established their presence inside. And, I mean, look— even though they didn't shoot great early in the game, I thought the looks were really good that mm-hmm. they were getting, in in large part because they were still putting the ball inside. So that was what set the tone. And look, this is the first time that's really been the game plan in the tournament. I felt like some of those other some of the other teams you played, Baylor, UCLA, you could attack them inside, but they had big men that were capable inside of defending. This one, no offense to St. Peter's, and look, they had some guys that that scrapped for sure, but they did not have a guy inside that had really anything consistent for Armando Baycott, and they shouldn't have. This was a team that honestly came, I mean, if there were two or three more minutes in their conference championship game, Walker Miller may have been able to find enough to be able to beat them. So you you expected that this was going to be a tough matchup for them. The other thing that you mentioned, you said they did a good job against Kentucky and Purdue. Well, what was the thing that they had a lot of before both of those games? Preparation time and rest. You were They got them the first game of each weekend. So they had a lot of time to prepare for them. They were rested. We're coming into this game. They put a lot into that game against Purdue just to get to the Elite Eight. So for Carolina, we that was one of the things and I, that Kenny Smith brought up before the game that I thought was a great point. You got to come out and punch them in the mouth. It was either him or maybe it was Clark Kellogg. One of the two said, "Look, you got to come out and punch them in the mouth because if you do, then it's going to be hard for this St. Peter's team to respond." I thought by going inside early on, that's where Carolina threw their first punch and at that point it was one of those it, it was a first round knockdown yeah. you knocked the guy down they had to start the count and he never they, they never recovered from there that 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 was a great game plan by Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels yeah I, I thought so as well I thought I thought Carolina was well prepared um, for the game and they knew they knew what to do they knew how to get the ball inside uh, against everything that they do on the perimeter better than the, the teams that 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 St. Peter's have beaten on their way to the Elite Eight. But um, just being able to, to put the, that ball inside and know, look, we can get a bucket or we can get an offensive rebound and a putback or we can kick it out for three. That's something that, that Carolina didn't really have early on in the year because they weren't this great of a rebounding team. But mm-hmm. now they've just morphed into a Carolina team on the glass that we we, we grew to know to and expect under Roy Williams. I thought Carolina's defense yesterday was was really good. And look now, look, St. Peter's got some shots, but there were some shots that I was comfortable with letting them take because if they're going to shoot twenty five foot three pointers, they're going to make them. I'm going to live with those results. But I thought Carolina was just active. I thought they were were closing out as as hard as they have all year long. I thought they were rotating as hard as they as they done. I thought the communication was there. 
And, and I know you know you're playing against a you know a mid major opponent, but this mid major opponent had scored pretty well against Kentucky. They scored rather well when they needed to against Purdue. This is a team playing in the Elite Eight. All that stuff goes out the window. I don't give a damn about mid major. It's one of the final eight teams in the country. They, they, you knew they were going to have something for you offensively. And they got some good looks at times, especially early in that first half. I thought there were a couple times early in that first half where there wasn't someone there for Carolina. You had guys that got mixed up a little bit. I wasn't worried, but I thought that there were a couple of moments where St. Peter's could have hit a couple of shots to get themselves going. But I think, honestly... Where it all started for Carolina was when you forced two turnovers right out of the gate. Yeah. That that just that set the tone for the entire day because Leaky Black went to work against the tournament hero, the guy that everybody loved in Doug Edder. And he had four points yesterday. Right. So Carolina shut him down. That was one of the focuses of, of Leaky Black um to, to take him away. And I don't. They just were never able to get into a rhythm, and that that's what we've seen at times from this team, especially in the second half of the season. That you you were wanting to be more and more consistent when we got to the tournament, and now it is. This is what we've seen now for outside of that Virginia Tech game. What do we? I mean, seven, eight straight consecutive games where this def, the defensive effort has been there, and I know you let up eighty-one to Duke, but I still felt like the defensive effort was really, really good. This looks like a team that can more than handle themselves defensively, and when you hold a team to forty-nine points, which is the lowest in a tournament game since two thousand eight against Washington State here in Charlotte, it, that 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 should tell you all that you need to know. St. Peter's wasn't great, but you don't a team doesn't shoot 30% and score 49 points in a tournament game just because they didn't shoot well. You played really good defense. And at this point, I I mean I I again, I heard it today. Somebody said, "Well, you know, Duke's going to go after Brady Manick. I'm pretty comfortable with where Brady Manick is at defensively. Mm-hmm. I think he's found his groove. I think this whole team has found their groove defensively. And I'm not really worried about that. Anymore. Well, and that, I think that's the thing is it's they're playing team defense. The, the the communication that wasn't there in the January blowout losses, that communication is there. And when Leaky Black is playing as well he, as he is individually um, defensively where he's able to take away one guy on his own, he's taken away at least one player out of what that guy wants to do on offense. It makes it easier on the other four guys, but – they're all communicating. They're all they're all switching. They're all doing everything they got to do individually and collectively as a group to take this next step defensively, and and that's why they've jumped inside the top forty of of of, 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 of Ken Palm's defensive rating. This team was in the the one hundreds in late February, in and late, and we thought that was honestly kind of generous to be to be honest well, with you. And it, I've I've said it, and I believe it. Defense is all about effort and want to. This team wants to give effort defensively because they're giving the effort defensively. We're right. not we're not having to plead for them to get stopped. And, and and here's the thing. I think we questioned their effort a lot early in the season. We did. Here's my thing. I don't know if it was that they weren't bringing the effort. I think what was happening now as you see where they're at today, I think they were afraid to make mistakes because they were afraid that people were going to point out 
that it was their fault. Because th- I think at, at times early in the season, there was finger pointing. Mm-hmm. But I think once they learned, hey, look, if somebody makes a mistake, like we're, we're not we're not going to point fingers. Because, look, are you going to point a finger if Leaky Black makes a mistake? He's your best defender. You ain't pointing no fingers at him. Mm-hmm. So once they I, – I, I think – that combined with them just realizing, hey man, Leaky's playing great. We need we need to step up and help this guy. That I think completely changed the mindset of this team defensively. And I also think early in the year their defense was dictated by if they made shots or if they didn't make shots. If yep. if, if, yeah. if they made no, shots, right. they would go defend. If they didn't make shots, and that's a sign of a team that is young or has a you know a first time head coach like this team does. But you, you draw back to those games that you won, Boston College, Virginia Tech, the Louisville games, Clemson, where you didn't shoot the ball as well as you wanted to shoot the ball, but you had to you had to get stops to win the game. And you kind of buy into that that mindset and that philosophy. It's translated now, and that's why Carolina is in the Final Four. Another thing I thought they did really well um, was I thought they handled the pressure. Like this. And it's 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 a lot mm-hmm. easier when Caleb Love isn't sitting on the bench like he was against Baylor, you know, in the round of thirty two. Well, that's what it proved right there. We saw them throw that pressure a couple of times at Carolina and they broke it relatively easily. They had like one or two moments where it was like, Whoa, that's but you're gonna have those moments. That showed that if Caleb Love would have been available down the stretch of that Baylor game, that game wouldn't have been anywhere near as close as it was at the end. They they wouldn't first of all, they would not have gone to overtime. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say they probably still win by double digits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just think that's the other value of playing with two point guards. Mm-hmm. And in Carolina's they've they've now figured out when to let RJ run the point and when to let Caleb run the offense. But you, in this era of basketball, you can't have too many ball handlers, especially against a team like St. Peter's that you knew had to press and trap and do a lot of things defensively to throw you out of rhythm. But I thought Love and Davis were wise beyond their years. They handled all of that a lot better than they did the weekend before um, against Baylor in the round of 32. That's another sign of, of a team that's maturing and getting more confident as the season goes along. Um, so that was a big, and that's a big reason why they were dominant inside because they handled the ball well on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. They were able to get the ball inside with with clean, crisp passes, and all that great stuff. But uh, so that's that's all the, the the great stuff that came out of the win. This isn't a, a negative connotation or anything like that. The game was over with. The game was over at halftime, effectively. I don't think we all sat here and were worried. The game, the game was over at the under four. Time out of the first half. Let, let's be let's be honest with ourselves. I don't think any Tar Heel fan was sitting there nervous about a St. Peter's comeback. Um, the, the way the game had been played in the first half, Carolina had established a lead that was going to be really hard to overcome unless you just really collapsed um, at, at, at an all-time level. Brady Manick, 39 minutes. R.J. Davis, 39 minutes. Caleb Love, 39 minutes. Baycott played 35 Leaky Black played 33. Your leading Mitch, your, your leading minute getter off the bench was Puff Johnson with 11. So he spelled those 11 minutes between Black and, and Baycott. I I would have liked to have seen the reserves in the in the second half. Not 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 a little, yeah, a little bit earlier. Not not for depth. You're tempting fate. Playing your starters, those types of minutes, and them not getting hurt. I mean, look, here's the thing. At this point, 
I'm not going to criticize what Hubert Davis is doing. I'm you, not you criticizing got them, it, but you got them into the Final Four. So you know what? You do whatever you want. Um, I will say, I thought you should. It, in my opinion, if I was the coach, I would have taken Baycott out after the scare of him going down to the floor yep. with the leg mm-hmm. because he had the issue in the Sweet 16 game against UCLA where he was getting his back worked on by Doug Halverson. I would have said, okay, let's sit him down. And 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 here's my thing. If they if St. Peter's had suddenly made a run, if that if that gets to twelve, put him back in. Yeah. All right, put him back out there. Let's say we gotta settle this down. What are we doing? But at the same time, I mean my thing I, I'm not it's 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 hard to question him at this point. I think maybe the mindset is this team is in such a rhythm right now. Don't take them out of it. Just let them. You're you're not, to be honest with you, you weren't really exerting that much energy in those final few minutes of the game. But I get what you're saying as well. I, I get the, the, the risk of, of injury and, and stuff like that. I think it's just, you know, you really weren't wasting a ton of energy at that point in the game, and he got six days off. So I, I think that might have been part of it. Is let's see if we can't keep these guys in somewhat of a rhythm here before we head into the biggest postseason matchup in the history of sport. Yeah, you know, because look, here's the thing. I know I just complained about those guys playing all those minutes. Well, you better be ready to play all 40 minutes on Saturday night because you're going to need every ounce of those guys on the court if you want to advance to the, to the national final. Yeah, and I mean, my thing, like, I don't know, like, I, I guess maybe eight minutes doesn't make a difference, but, I mean, you don't want to take that risk of you take Caleb Love or or Brady Manick off the court and all of a sudden they come out in the next game a little slow. I mean, I'm not saying that should be a reason why because you had eight minutes off at the end of the game, but, I mean, it's just those are those types of superstitious things that as a coach goes through your mind. Hey, they're in a rhythm. Let's keep them going because if I take this guy out, he may lose his stroke, if, you know, because I took him out. It's it's I know it's crazy, but yeah, that that I, might be I never had that issue. That might be the thinking. Well, you didn't play. So of course you didn't have I that played issue. the whole game. 40 minutes. So you played you played forty minutes after everybody else was off the court when you were just by yourself doing no. the commentary and no, everything because that's what I did I commentated my I own games I played the entire myself. game no I never came off the floor too valuable no I mean you didn't come off the floor you can see you're you're still on the floor when you're riding the bench I mean you're there you were on your feet the whole time <laughs> you got some workout over there you got a, you got ejected a couple of times so you know. Anyways, man, what a feeling. You, you would have told me in the middle of February we'd be taking you through a, a run in the NCAA tournament to the Final Four to a matchup with Duke. I'd have told you, you're lying. It and, honestly doesn't feel real still. Like, it's it's because you're you're saying to yourself, this team? Yeah. This is the team. Well, like, we've never been in this scenario before because I can't speak for 05. I wasn't. I, I was way too young at that time. Didn't follow it that that closely. Oh nine, never a doubt. That was that was a mission you knew coming out of the well, gate. Like, they were like here's the thing be- about like oh nine. It was a simple goal. Either you won a, you won a national championship, or you failed. Same thing in seventeen. That was right. a, that was a mission because you you did everything you did in the regular season. 
You won the regular season. You got a one seed. Okay. Now you got to go win a national championship to validate everything else that you've done. Yeah, and I mean, in 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 '09, I mean, what 0 and two conference conference start? Maybe that was the area you were doubting. But yeah. even still, I never really doubted it. I said, look, this team's got too much talent, and they got Tyler Hansborough. Then you had Roy in, Williams, as the, who at the time was right. the best coach in college basketball. And in '17, no, I I honestly I think even if there were moments that we were concerned about that team, I just blocked them out. Because I was so, I as a fan was so focused on, we're going to win this. We better. Because we, we uh, I can't take this. There is This is why these guys came back, was to win a title. Yeah. And, I, to, I, this, I, and but this year, completely different. You're talking about a team that, a couple of weeks ago, we were saying, we as host of a Torio basketball podcast, we're saying to Joe Lenardi, are you a moron for having this team yeah. in the tournament? And now we look this like team morons. just cut down an East regional net and is heading to the Final Four to play in New Orleans on the biggest stage in college basketball against their most hated rival. And who could lay on the other side? A team that has beat you multiple times in the tournament that you hate. Mm-hmm. Or a team that beat you in 2016 that you absolutely hate. So I mean, it's 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 unprecedented that they've got to this point. And to be honest with you, I mean, they're underdogs once again, and I love it. I think that they have as good of a chance as just about any one of those underdogs yeah. all time to get it done. So it's 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 going to be. It's going to be fun because it's the Final Four, but this will be as gut-wrenching, hate-watching, nauseous sports experience, I think, for every Tar Heel fan involved because we've never seen we've never seen this. I honestly, this week is going to be like when a woman finds out that she's pregnant. I am going to be nauseous for the entire week. <laughs> Most of the time, I'll have no idea why, and I won't really be able to eat. <laughs> but on Saturday, we're going to find out the results. Yeah. That is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. We do encourage you guys, get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for the latest on Carolina's run in the NCAA tournament. I'll be getting you ready for Saturday's matchup with Duke in the Final Four. Also, the latest news coming out for Tar Heel football. UNC held their pro day today. Everything that comes out of that, all of that uh, coverage and more will be on the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. You can like the pod. You can review the pod. But most importantly, we do encourage you guys, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single edition of the show throughout the remainder of the season. Well, it is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, to find the best basketball podcast.